let's just go ahead and get started and jump on in. The book of Acts chapter 2, if you are following along in your pew Bible there in front of you, once again, that's our gift to you. That is going to be on page 968 where we're going to be reading today. But Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47, we're going to be looking a little bit more, continuing the account that we looked at two weeks ago when we talked about the day of Pentecost. And so in the South, we have restaurants that are given a name, and then when they expand and they have another restaurant of the same name, you have the first one, and then you have the second one too. So I I remember this Country Steakhouse, and then you had Country Steakhouse 2. T-O-O. It's also. And so this is also dealing with the new of the church. So stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. This is the Word of the Lord. It says, Therefore... This is Peter speaking. Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they, that would be the crowd that had gathered to hear this first preaching of the sermon at Pentecost, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved let's pray lord god today as we read this account from your word may we remember where it comes from and that today while i may be preaching here help me just to be merely your servant and that as we study we study together we grow together in you as we hear from your word and you teach us through your holy spirit that perhaps today there's someone many of us that need to respond to what you're saying to your church that you recorded this and preserved it for us today, even now, 2,000 years later. Help us not go away hungry or empty because we did not nourish upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. So imagine, if you will, I, I gave you this illustration a few moments ago in our children's message about uh, whenever I had my first 
child. Well, I was there when my wife had our first child. Um, it, it, it was a life-changing experience to be sure. And now we have this someone new in our life. And, and while we were once babies, we don't remember what it was like to be a baby. And, and, and while we've seen others take care of babies, we don't know what it's like to have this baby as ours. This one that we knew was coming. I mean, it's nine months that, that life is, was there at the moment of conception and, and is still preserved. But now she has arrived. What do you do? And, and so you surround yourself with people that, that help you to know. Now, when she was born, my eldest, that was right at the time that YouTube was becoming a pretty popular thing. It wasn't super popular. I mean, we were still dealing with dial-up internet services in some places. To have actually high speed enough to actually watch YouTube was something pretty extraordinary. You gotta think, 2005, this is pre-iPhone. This is back in the Razor days, you know, the Microsoft Razor. So, you know, the, the highest technology was sharing a ringtone from Bluetooth to Bluetooth. And that was awesome. But what we needed was the right information. So what we, we did, we took the books that were given to us and my wife read them and she told me to read them and I totally said I did and I did some of it. But we also had, you know, the right pediatrician. We want to listen to who was recommended. We wanted to go through all the steps. We, we would listen to parents and family that were involved in our lives. We lived, still lived close enough that we could have that advice, whether it was, uh, sought for advice or not. They were still there and we're grateful for them. They, they played a part. And we also were, were serving in a local church. And so you had a lot of moms and grandmas and aunts and uncles and, and people that, you know, they, They'd been around babies and had their own and they would help out. And I was thankful and I still am so thankful for those voices that were there to help you handle and walk through this something new that's never been a part of your life before. And that's what's so good about community. That's what's so good because it helps you to, to understand. I, I've never been here before. Help me to know what to expect. It's one reason we do premarital counseling before someone ties the knot and says, I do. It's a good thing to, to learn from those who are walking through it. It's a good thing to, to hear from them. It's a good thing to be a part of connection groups because you begin to see, all right, this is what it looks like on the other side, a place that I have not been before. And we need people to help us with that something new. But here's the thing, and I am grateful for the age of technology we live in. I am an avid YouTube user. I love it. I need to fix my washer or dryer or I need to get Alan to do it for me and I'll call him. He'll look up and watch the video and then he'll come over to my house and we'll do it together. I know. For those that know me, you know I'm not really that much of a handyman, okay? I'm just not. But I'm thankful that there are little things I can learn how to, how to figure out this issue. But the problem with it, the inherent problem is That in this day and age where we have so much information, sometimes we have such a lack of community. Like genuine community. We still have our blood and our kin, our mom and them and that kind of thing. We have our family. But even that sometimes is stretched thin. And the community loses a little bit of its purpose. And so today as we look at the book of Acts, I want you to look at something that the Bible in the book of Acts, it has two lessons for us. Sometimes we see things that are 
prescriptive. It's prescribing this is what you should do. And things that are descriptive. It's describing what happened. And sometimes they're mutual. Sometimes it's good. Here it's giving us, it's describing for us what is going on in the early church at the turn of the century. And when we're trying to figure out what it says and what it means, it's introducing us. This is the something new. While Jesus had talked about the church, the church was birthed in its fullness at Pentecost. That is when the Holy Spirit fell and in dwelt every single believer. There was a new creation. Something that had not been is now there. Something that we received the benefit of this 2,000 years later. But what do you do with it? How How do you maintain that? How does it stay healthy? What does it look like? What does it mean for us? How does this apply to us today? And today we're going to see that that God's plan for making disciples, for building the church, it involves a community of believers who desire to grow together. It involves a community. And so today we're going to ask some questions. And like I said, some of the parts of the book of Acts, they're, they're descriptive and some of them are prescriptive. This is a little bit of both. Let's look at this first question. How do you describe the church when it functions correctly? I want you to think about that for a moment. How would you, if you were trying to put this in context, if, if, if someone was asking you, maybe it's a child in your home, why do we go to church? Or, or maybe it's a coke worker. Why do you go to church? A colleague in, in school. What is the meaning of church? Why do you give up this allotted amount of time on a Sunday when you could sleep in, and then in the fall you wake up and there's football and all things are right with the world? Why do you do this? Why is it that on the days that you're not working and you're not required to be somewhere, you require yourself to be somewhere? How would you describe why you do what you do? Some would say, well... It's just good for you. I feel good when I go to church. I'm glad you feel good. That's, that's an awesome thing. To be encouraged and to feel like it's a place where you can belong is a good thing. Some people would say, well, my mom and them, they taught me about that. You're just supposed to go. It's what good, godly people do. Okay? Some people say, well, it's, it gives me a bit to give to charity and feel like I, I take part. Great. I'm glad that you do that. Those are good things. Uh, some people say, I really like the songs, man. I dig the worship, whether it's when the, someone plays the piano and the organ and they sing those songs that, that have been sung for so long, or, or when it's someone playing guitar and they're singing a song that just was written. That will be a reason that people would give. But what does the Bible describe about the very first church? Like, what happened as soon as it was born? Like, something wasn't and now it is. And there's like a lot of them. There's 3,000 people. Imagine that. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to picture. And not all of these, while they were all generally Jewish, they didn't all speak the same language. They didn't all have the same customs. Remember the day of Pentecost? How were these Galileans telling me this in my language? And now there's 3,000 people in one place? How do you handle that? What are you going to do? This is where the Bible gives us this description and prescription. One of the things we first see is fidelity to the Word. 
Let's look at how it describes what they were doing in verses 42 to 43. This church that had heard about Jesus crucified, who was the Lord and Messiah, who had repented and believed and made their personal faith public through baptism, what were they doing? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the certain activities. And at the top of the list is the study of the apostles' teaching. Why is that? Why is it that that's the very first thing? It is because emphasis on the Word of God informs everything else. Emphasis on the Word of God is is what's to inform everything else. If it's not emphasis on the Word of God, it's going to be emphasis on the speculations and programs of man. It's going to come about in the opinions of the lofty and the well-learned. But if it comes to the Word that's made available to all, it's going to inform everything else. And this is the steady diet of the healthy church, of healthy disciples. If it's not a part of our life, then we are not healthy disciples. I mean, think about it. This is how we came to know Jesus in the first place. Someone presented His Word to us. And we believed. And we were saved. It was a personal and public declaration of the Bible. And in this Spirit-filled congregation that's described here, they didn't abandon the Word, even though the Holy Spirit was doing like awesome, awesome activity. And we're just like, well, God's showing a sign, so we'll just follow along. No, they were, it was driving them to the Scripture. And if we're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, we too will be drawn to the Bible. Why is that? Because if it is the Spirit of God that is directing us, it's going to point us to Himself. And God will not point us to Himself and then say, but my word you don't need to listen to. You see how unfruitful that would be? How, how illogical? And when we think about it, the great spiritual awakenings, they involve people faithfully praying and teaching the Word. It is central, it is central to who we are because that's what it means. Everything else that isn't God-centered is man-centered. And it will lead us astray. This is a great reminder for us as the church today. Once again, this is descriptive and it's prescriptive. It's a great reminder that we must lay down desire to preach just fancy opinions, to avoid the temptation to just entertain or manipulate or or build and try to, to tweak the emotions of the masses. No, build it with fidelity to the Word. Say, we will be devoted in faithfulness to God's Word, believing that if He said it, we will trust it. If He said and directed it and commanded it, we will follow and obey This is how you describe the church when it functions correctly. And the role of the church leadership, because they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, is to be pastor shepherds, to be spokespersons for God, which the goal of a spokesperson is not to come up with your own opinion, but to share the source. If someone is a spokesperson for a company, they don't just go off script and try to tell you and sell you something that the company that that sponsored them is not trying to sell. No, they they must stay to the script. And if we must 
teach people what it means to be pastors and leaders, we've got to tell them, don't try to go off script because you're going to build something that isn't God-honoring. No matter how good intentioned you may be. It'll be man-centered and not God-centered. Without the Scriptures, we live without hope. For Scripture in itself is sufficient to build up and bless the church. And churches must in turn trust and submit to God's Word as it's faithfully taught. Remember here, as we look at the book of Acts, sometimes we get caught up in the oohs and ahs of these miracles that validated the apostles' teaching. But here's the thing. It was the miracles that served the message, not the other way around. It was the miracles that were pointing them back to the message. Go back to what God has said. Let's move on. Uh, what is another prescriptor and descriptor in this moment? It is fidelity to one another. In verses 42 through 44, you see first the diet of the Word, but then you see the first exercise is that of fellowship. Now, I'm going to try to correct something that's really hard for me to correct because I'm, I feel guilty of this too. Fellowship does not automatically equal food. I know I blew a Baptist basement wide open. Now, I will say this. Good fellowship can have food. We're going to see that. But food does not automatically equate to fellowship. Just because you host a potluck didn't mean we had a good fellowship today. It might have been delicious. It might have been filling in other ways, but it might not have been fellowship. But let's look at this. Fellowship is sharing a common way of living because of our union. Because of our union. And for the believer, it's because of our spiritual union in Christ. And this fellowship, it's a common way of living that sharpens one another's faith, that helps cultivate one another's practice, that honors a kinship of practical acts of love and support. And, and we need to understand this matters. When we talk about fidelity to one another, this matters. Because fellowship with one another, it's tied to the Christian's fellowship with the Father. Did you know that? That how we treat one another automatically equates to something right or wrong, healthy and living and thriving, or detrimental to our health with the Father. Now, we don't like to think about that. We, we like to be independent people. We like to really focus on the individual. And, and growing as an individual is good, but it's never to be isolated or dissected from the, the whole. This is why John the Apostle in his letter to the church says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you might also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That it's, it's something that we belong to one another as we belong to Him. And as we belong to Him, we belong to one another. It's not mutually exclusive. It's out of our common fellowship with the Father through Jesus that we, under, we enjoy this Fellowship with our spiritual family. And if we are out of fellowship with Christ, let me tell you, it's going to hurt your fellowship with the church. Think about your life. The most rockiest, tumultuous times that you've ever had with Jesus, did it affect your relationship with the church? Of course it did. You may have still came and showed up, but your relationships weren't strong. Because you know what? I, I found that when that's true in my life, I don't want to get close to people. I don't want the mask to be peeled away. I don't want the real to be seen. 
I was talking with a pastor friend of mine this last week. My heart agonized with him, but at the same time, I felt empathy. You know why? He said, I can't be real with my church. They can't see when I'm in pain. I can't even have them in the hospital room. Why? Because there's a level of fellowship that just is never bridged. That we can't be there for one another. And I said, you know, there's been times in my life where I felt that is true as well. But there's been times where I'm so thankful that there were people that peeled back the layer and said, man, brother, I'm here with you. And we'll walk this road together. But this is a testimony about the church today, a church then and, and how it looks today. It's, sometimes it's so vastly different. And we wonder when we see people that are out of fellowship with Jesus' people, do we just automatically assume they're really perfectly good in their fellowship with Jesus? I don't see how that can be both and. When the Bible does not describe or prescribe that type of relationship. I'm going to get to how strong this union is in a minute. I want you to look at the you one another passage in the New Testament. They're going to be on the screen behind me. And they underscore how significant this is as it's amplified. And I've just chosen just a select few of these passages that are here in our study. But as, we, as I show them and we read them, we're going to go through them quite quickly. But it may be something that we take time and pause and say, you know what? I need to pray about that in my own, my own life. Let's give the first one, the very words of Jesus. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's look at Romans as Paul writes about it. We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Going on, same chapter. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Going on, Romans chapter 12. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans chapter 15. Instruct one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The members would have the same concern for each other your concerns would be theirs and their concerns would be yours. Galatians, serve one another through love. Galatians also, carry one another's burdens. Ephesians, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another with one another in love. Also Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Also Ephesians, Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Philippians also. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Colossians. Do not lie to one another. Thessalonians. Encourage one another. Thessalonians, again, always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Hebrews, let us watch out for one another and provoke love and good works. James, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Also, James, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another. 
James also, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Peter, be hospitable to one another without complaining. 1 Peter 5.5 All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. John, 1 John, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who has been born of God and knows God. He goes on to say, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. You see, true biblical fellowship, the, the, the way it's prescribed not the way that we just kind of are comfortable with, is a challenge. It is not easy. And I don't think it's intended to be. Because it's something that, as they met together, it was cultivated and maintained through prayer, through sharing of life, through devotion to the Word, through worship. And it wasn't a peripheral type fellowship. I hesitate to talk about this. I don't know how easy it is to, to claim a good, healthy fellowship just because we might know a person's name, their parents' name, where they work, and their kids' names. But think about that. If that's the limitation of your relationship with someone, let's take that to someone famous. Do you know the president's name? Do you know his wife's name? You know where he works? Some of his kids' names, maybe his dad's name. Yeah. We know that information. Do you have fellowship with him? Not in the least bit. See, just because you know that information doesn't mean you have fellowship with someone. Just because you recognize their face and point them out in a lineup doesn't mean you have fellowship. I love this church and I love you guys, but and my heart is that we would be a community that, that just says, hey, we, we love worshiping with one another. We love serving together. We love praying together. We love worshiping the Lord together. We love seeing our kids grow up together, do life together. And, and, and our life is, is so intrinsically knit together that there's fellowship that is not just segmented between seven days and one hour on those seven days. Because that's not fellowship. Not in the biblical way. It is a privilege to have it, but it takes work. And many do not experience this blessing, but instead they've settled for something artificial and mediocre because what they seem to have just feels these words that are so dangerous. Good enough. Good enough. I know them well enough. I do things good enough. We serve together. It, it's okay. Let's consider the privilege that we've been given to be called as a follower of Jesus, adopted by Him as a family. And as that unites us, let us sharpen one another, sharing biblical community in a way that develops our faith and our practice and our kinship. Let's look at another aspect described here. The fidelity not only to the Word and to one another, but to the breaking of bread. This reference is most likely, as we look at it, uh, every scholar looks at this the same way. This is not just, oh, they went to Olive Garden and they shared the unending breadsticks, okay? 
That's not what it is. Although that salad and breadsticks is delicious, I get it. This is them coming together to remember the broken body of Jesus through the Lord's Supper. That whenever they met for their meals, they had their meals and they shared them together, but they weren't just potlucks. In the middle of those meals, it was far different than how we do it here. That they would take time in the middle and they would hold up the, the bread they'd broken and hold up the cup and say, let us remember what Jesus did to make grace abound so that we never make it about us. Let us remember the covenant that He gave us. You see, healthy churches, they have a deep affection for the crucified and risen Savior. They, they constantly draw back and remember it, even through very practical things. And the Lord's Supper is a very beautiful activity. You see, teachers, I heard it said, teachers, they preach to the ear about Jesus. The table, it presents to the eyes about Jesus. It shows us, wow. In a very, very tangible, easy way. Yeah, Jesus willingly was broken for me. Am I broken over Him? Am I remember my blessings are intrinsically tied to Him? You see, not only in this descriptor, the fidelity to the Word and fidelity to one another and fidelity to the breaking of bread, you see fidelity to prayer. The book of Acts, it gives us a multitude of illustrations about the church's vibrant prayer life. I mean, the book of Acts is, is covered in times of prayer. Sometimes it even gives us the words of those prayers. From the leadership, those that we have their names, to some of them it just says, they. And yet when they prayed, the people that will never know their names, this side of heaven, God heard those prayers and did something amazing. And these prayers were practiced both freely in moments of just stopping along the road and praying. And some of them were very formal times of prayer where they, where they gathered and said, let's pray together formally. We're meeting for this sole purpose of prayer. It's both and. They prayed corporately. There were times where they were praying without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean that like you, you never stop talking to, to God verbally and, and everybody else is tuned out. Praying without ceasing is a life that you, as you're going, you're constantly remembering to pray, to make your decisions based on prayer. Since they prayed in the temple, in this massive place where they could meet, because once again there's 3,000 of them, they got to have a place to gather. And they would pray in the homes when they were in their small groups. Yeah, they even had small groups then. Why do I know that? Because 3,000 people won't fit in the house. You ain't fitting 3,000 people in my 1,300 square foot house. It ain't happening. We get 20, it's crowded. It just is. I love New Year's Eve, but when we have friends over, I'm like... Okay, it's, it's, I have spatial issues. I get it. Right, we send the junior high boys downstairs. It starts smelling like corn chips. And I'm like, wow, they're playing with the Nerf guns. And man, I got to spray some Febreze later. It's just happening. See, I'm just checking to see if you're awake. If you're really listening. There should be some joy in the Lord together this morning. But it says they prayed as they walked along roads. They prayed as they encountered the sick and the afflicted. They prayed before they preached sermons. They prayed while they were being persecuted. They, so even in bad times, they prayed in planning times of intercession over difficult situations, like the formal times. They prayed in thanks for food. They prayed in thanks for Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. They, they, they prayed in praising songs. They prayed in petitions to the Father to meet their daily needs. They had a life 
of vibrant prayer. And as a descriptor and a prescriptor, if we are going to be healthy and say, this is something that God has delivered into our hands and what are we to do with it? It's got to have a fidelity to prayer. To prayer. And then prayer is not just something, oh yeah, it's kind of just not a big deal. No, it's an absolute big deal. We're talking to Jesus. How could that not be a big deal? Think of this. The early church wasn't full of a bunch of rich people. They weren't. They had few earthly resources. But that did not keep them from shaking up the world for Jesus. We have far more resources in the church in the United States than they ever did right now in the book of Acts. Far more. But daily God was answering prayers because they were daily praying. They had a fidelity to generosity. Notice the practical application of fellowship here. That as they are staying faithful to the Word, hearing from Jesus, as they are learning from one another and being sharpened, as they are breaking bread and remembering how Jesus paid the ultimate price for them, that constant reminder, as they are praying and about the reality of their situation, it also led them to a fidelity of generosity. They were faithful to this, devoted to this. They had an extraordinary sharing and serving in mercy ministries among one another. Now, it does not mean that the early church, this is not, some people have taken this and gone very far as says, the Bible prescribes communism or whatever. And I know that's like a, a big no-no word in capitalism and all that kind of thing. No, the Bible doesn't say anything about them owning private property. It doesn't condemn that. But it does teach radical generosity. Why is that? Because regenerate people who've been born again because Jesus gave all are people that give all. They open their hands and say, God, I, you, you may not tell me to move anything here from this private pile, but there may be some things that you radically say, get rid of for my glory and, and, and my good among the people. And because you were so generous so that I could be born again and you gave all, how dare I say, Lord, I want to give some. And the Lord's been convicting me about this. I'm a very selfish person. I just want you to know that. I'm a very selfish, prideful person. That's not me fishing for a compliment. This is something God really worked on in my heart that, you know what? Be a little more sacrificial. Understand what it means to humble yourself and share in that grace of God. So pray for me on that. I'm asking for your help by you praying for your pastor on that issue. This is not me casting stones and saying, I'm perfect and you're not. But Jesus changed their hearts and and because Jesus had changed their hearts, they wanted to do whatever was possible to change the hearts of others through the world. They understood what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. No, that is not a health and wealth, gospel prosperity, gospel teaching. That was about Jesus laying down it all so we can receive the awe of the kingdom, not some silver coin in our hand. It is a generosity that overflows out of biblical fellowship because now the community, as they have 
become more aware of, of God's will and God's Word. And they have become more aware of what's actually going on in the lives of those around them in their large, massive gathering at the temple and their home gatherings and as they're breaking bread and as they're praying. Now they're able to place and play a role to say, I can, I can help carry my brother and my sister's burden. I can meet them where they fall short. And not only can I do that, but my goodwill will be known to all. Let's just keep going. I know we're running short on time. They had a fidelity of gathering together. Now, I keep using that word fidelity. By the way, that means devotion. One of the things that you ask for whenever you get married and you make vows is you're committing to devotion, faithfulness, fidelity, singular. They had a fidelity to gathering together. 246 is the early church lived out of life every day. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. So here's what it looks like. They were involved in one another's life because they chose to take part in one another's life. They had that mutual accountability. And while the church has to love those outside the family in order to fulfill its mission, a healthy church meets together as a family regularly. We have to love others outside these walls and beyond so that the gospel expands. But a healthy church realizes that, man, family gets together. Family spends time with one another. We know this practically in our own homes. But it needs to be happening within the church. And half the job of a good, healthy church member, a good, healthy disciple, you know what half the job is? Showing up. It's showing up and being present. Saying not I'm just here in the moment, count me present, but I'm actually participating. I'm, I'm, half the job is showing up. Let me be counted on. You can't build a healthy biblical community or biblical relationships if you're not there to begin with. I don't see how you can do it. How did you get to know your spouse? You dated them. How long did you date them if you didn't show up for the date? You probably didn't marry that person, did you? No. No, you show up. And here we see it's not exclusive one or the other. They met in both large and small groups. Every day they were meeting in the temple. They had to have a place, and that was the largest place. They had a large courtyard for the men and the women. And we'll see later on if you read through the book of Acts that that's where a lot of activity was going on as they presented the gospel. But they also met in one another's homes. So this is how a large church, you may wonder, how does a large church sustain itself? How does a 3,000-member church maintain health? How do they do it? They don't forsake small groups. They connect. That's how they get to know each other. Fidelity to praising the Lord is also here. And you know what? I feel like God's going to want us to spend a little more time here, so we're going to hold the rest of the sermon until next week. I don't want this to be something that we rush through. Nor do we need to. I think sometimes we feel like we've got to get the most information in the most amount of time. When God may be saying, no, I'm going to have you pause a little bit.
slow and learn. Take my yoke upon you. Come to me, and I will give you rest, but you're going to learn from me as you get that rest. So here's what I want you to know as we come to this close. All of this is not just a result of them trying to be good people, to shake off bad deeds and make themselves look decent among community. That's not what it's about. It goes back to the very first part. They recognized who Jesus was. They turned from their old way of life and had a personal and public decision to embrace the gospel and identify with Jesus. And as a result of that, everything changed. So here today, I don't want you thinking that, oh, we got to do these things just so that we're good or we're keeping up with the Joneses. No, we're doing this if we're followers of Jesus. If any other motivation is there, it's wrong. It's man-centered and focused. But if it's the gospel, then let us hear from Jesus and respond to him. Let's pray. Lord God, I am so convicted right now. Because even just reading your word is, is as much time as, as there was preparing and, and being ready. I, I know that even now I stand here needing to be humbled and take a next step with you, Lord. To let go of some old way of living. So Lord, today, help this be a new day in my life as a disciple of Yours. But God, let my decision up here not be the only one. Wherever there needs to be decisions in this room, if they need to be staying in the pew, or if they need to come up here and pray, wherever it is, whatever they need to do, Lord, You have the reins. Today, let us recognize that You are not only just the Savior who went to the cross for us, but You are Lord and Your Word is meant to be followed and trusted. So God, among Your church today, help us follow You as the Holy One. Amen.